Hi there, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to today's episode of the Strategy in Leadership podcast. My name is Anthony Taylor. In this podcast, we interview senior leaders and thought leaders to get their best practices on leading teams, creating and executing strategy, and fostering the culture within an organization that works. My guest today is Dr. Gleb Sapersky, PhD, who is the CEO of Disaster Avoidance Experts, LLC, and a recent author of his new book, Never Go With Your Gut, How Pioneering Leaders Make the Best Decisions and Avoid Business Disasters. Gleb, how are you today? I'm doing great, and thanks so much for having me on the show. It's a pleasure. I'm really excited. I know that you've got a lot to share here, you know, jumping into building on the years and years of research that you've done and really excited to have you share with our listeners. So uh, maybe you can tell us a little bit about you and your background and what led you to uh, begin this uh, consultancy journey. Oh, happy to share that. Well, actually, my consultancy journey began in my childhood and my expertise, of course, is in decision making. I saw my parents making some really bad decisions uh, around their finances, especially my dad. He was a real estate agent, so he had variable income. And that one time, I remember it was really bad. He hid some serious income from my mom and he invested into buying an apartment elsewhere, kind of uh, renting it out. Once she found out about it a couple of years later, I mean, they had fights, but this was the worst. This was a huge, big blowout fight. And they separated for a while. And I mean, they eventually got back together, but you could never really trust them again. So that really shaped me as a kid when I saw that and other decisions that they were making that were pretty terrible financially. So I did not want, I was wondering why do adults, people who seem so smart, make such bad decisions? Then I was growing up, I was born in 81. So I came of age in 1999 with a dot-com boom when webvan, pet.com and so on. They had all this money, you know, billions and billions of dollars were being poured into it. People, you know, tech leaders were partying like it's 1999 for those who remember the Prince song. And then in 2002, so when I was 21, it all went bust. You know, and they went down the drain. So many people lost their money. Lots of people lost their life savings. And some unscrupulous business leaders at Enron, WorldCom, and Tyco made very bad decisions to use fraudulent accounting practices to cover up their losses. I, I couldn't understand why they did that because it was obvious that it was going to be discovered in a year or two and it was, and they went to jail and so on. Now, when you look back at this, you could see that all the bad decisions, once I started researching this, I started seeing, looking at why do people make these bad decisions? And what I found when I started doing research was it mainly came from an emotional place. Our business decisions are mainly coming from our gut reactions, our intuitions, our emotions about 80 to 90% of our decisions are emotionally based. So I started doing training, consulting, coaching, and speaking about this to help leaders make the best decisions, combining their emotions and reason and logic. And then I went into academia to study this formally. So I spent over 15 years in academia, including as a pro- seven years as a professor at Ohio State. And that's kind of the combination of all of my work, all of my research was combined into this new book. Now we go with your gut, how pioneering leaders make the best decisions and avoid business disasters using cognitive neuroscience, latest cognitive neuroscience and behavioral economics research. Now that's my background, cognitive neuroscientist and behavioral economist, along with 20 years of consulting, coaching and training case studies from there, as well as contemporary case studies of business leaders who made bad decisions and good decisions. So that's my so background made, and that's you, how it led here. Perfect. So you basically just stumbled into, you just stumbled into this, right? 
Yes, I stumbled into it because of my passion, because I saw people making really bad decisions. I mean, when you look at the decision-making behind the leaders of Enron, WorldCom, and Tyco, it was very emotional. It came from them not wanting to appear as losers and failures in the eyes of peers around them. And for anyone who works with business leaders and business leaders themselves knows that that's one of the biggest, biggest emotional drivers. It's the fear of failure, fear of being seen as a loser, as a failure it's so primal for business leaders that it causes them to make a lot of bad decisions. And that's what happened there with Enron, WorldCom, and Tyco. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I know myself as an entrepreneur, you know, you have the means to say, I feel personally attacked. But yes, you know, I, I know what it means <laughs> going with the going with your gut. And, you know, on one hand, your gut has gotten you to a certain place, presumably as an entrepreneur. But then, you know, as the stakes get higher, uh, important to, you know, put aside those cognitive biases and, you know, incorporate a decision-making process, or also, if you can, get out of the decision-making process and, you know, get other people to do it because you have such a bias. And, you know, I heard somebody say, at least with hires, hiring somebody that you fell in love with because you fell in love with their resume, you fell in love with their <laughs> attitude or personality versus actually saying, is this somebody that could that could really do the job and be successful. So, you know, for our listeners that are, you know, senior leaders, and I know that you've spoken at uh, big organizations like Vistage and EO and, and do a lot of work with, with Fortune uh, organizations, you know, tell me what are some of those key takeaways that our listeners can make either when faced with a critical decision or, you know, in the day-to-day -day basis, things that will sort of ground them so that they can make the best decisions possible and, of course, avoid disaster. Those are very important questions. The first thing I think that people would want to know about is the broader framework. Before we get to a specific strategy, which I'll talk about a little bit later, the broader framework is really important. And a lot of leaders want to understand why their decision-making is problematic when they go with their gut, because otherwise they don't, they think, well, you know, well, what does this guy know? You know, I go with my gut and it succeeds. If you look at the statistics, about half of all small enterprises, small businesses fail within the first five years. Two-thirds of them fail within the first decade. So a lot of people who are remaining are the ones who didn't fail. Partially, it came from luck, I'm sorry to say, but partially the lack of failure comes from luck, and people get lucky a lot, and they get unlucky a lot. And so it doesn't necessarily come from wise decisions, effective decisions. It comes from a lot of hard work combined with luck, and it can be much better much better outcomes if you actually are not focusing on luck, if you're maximizing your chances of making the right decisions, which is what I'm talking about here. How do you maximize your chance of having the best outcome possible for your bottom line? You need to understand that the, the decision-making that we intuitively have, our gut reactions and our intuitions, they're surprisingly, they're not adapted for the modern business environment, I mean, which has been around since World War II. They're adapted for the savannah environment when we're small groups of hunters, gatherers, foragers, We've lived in small tribes of 15 people to 150 people max. And we, uh, that tribalism is what causes us to fall in love with certain people, who, people who are much like us when we hire them, when we choose who are going to be our suppliers, our contractors, our business partners. We choose, tend to choose people who are just like us, who are, we feel are part of our tribe. And that's often the worst decision because if you will not get the perspective of other people who have different strengths. These people will, will actually exacerbate your weaknesses and not complement your strengths, the people you would tend to hire if you go with your gut, so that's a, and who you tend to work with if you go with your gut. So that's a big danger. Another big danger of tribalism, which again comes from this 
primal background, our gut reactions, comes from trying to climb to the top of the social hierarchy and fearing to fall down. That's what happened with the Enron WorldCom and Tycho leaders, people who felt that, hey, I can't possibly come down from this high place. I will do whatever I can to not admit failure, to not admit loss. And of course, the strongest leaders we know, according to a lot of research, the ones who make the most profit for their companies are the ones who acknowledge failure and loss and change their course. But so many leaders are constitutionally incapable of doing that if they just go with their gut. Their gut reactions tells them that, no, we can't, I can't change my mind. I need to be a strong leader. And they equate this strength, unfortunately, with not changing their mind. So we need to under, develop this humility, the understanding that our gut intuition leads us often into the wrong direction. So that's kind of one aspect of things, the broader framework. Now, a specific technique that I tell people to use that I have my clients use all the time are five questions that will help you avoid decision disasters. So five questions that you need to use around any decision. First, what important information did I not yet fully consider about this decision? Again, what important information did I not yet fully consider? You want to especially look at information that goes against your intuitions, that goes against your gut reactions, that goes against your instincts, because there are a lot of cognitive biases, which are dangerous judgment errors we tend to make because of how our brain is wired, that cause us to make really bad decisions by choosing information that we want to hear <laughs> and by ignoring information that we don't want to hear. It's called the confirmation bias, and there are a lot of similar ones. That's the first one. Second, what dangerous judgment errors, cognitive biases, did I not yet address? You want to be aware of what they are in the first place. There are over 100 of them. We talked about the confirmation bias now. There's another one called, for example, the planning fallacy that causes us to think that, hey, all our plans are great. Everything will go according to plan. Everything will go smoothly. And we should just make this plan and stick with it. As opposed to recognizing that there are going to be a lot of problems with our plans just because of the nature of the world is unpredictable. And we need to make effective strategies to address these problems in advance. Those are two out of over 100 cognitive biases. The book, Never Go There, Got How Pioneering Leaders Make the Best Decisions and Avoid Business Disasters, focuses on the 30 ones that are most dangerous for businesses and leaders and how they can address them. So that's two. Third, what would a trusted and objective advisor suggest I do? Think about a trusted and objective advisor. What would they suggest you do in this situation? You can, of course, give them a call, give a show, send them a text, give them an email, or you can just imagine the benefit of their advice. And just imagining them in your head gets you outside of your head. And that helps you make a much better decision research shows. Next, how have I addressed all the ways this decision could fail? The really effective technique here is imagining that this decision already failed. Whatever you're doing, whether it's a new project, new product, a new hire, or an existing process, you know, the, the way that you insure your company from various issues, a new uh, existing supplier contractor that you're deciding whether you want to renew your contract with. Imagine this failed completely. Think about all the ways that led to this failure, all the things, and how you can address all the problems that led to this failure. How you can address all of them in advance. Some of them you can address in advance already. Some of them you can make plans to address if they arise. So that's number four. And finally, fifth, what new information would cause me to revisit this decision? Again, what new information would cause me to revisit this decision? This is critically important because it's very hard for us to pull away from our decision and our plan in the heat of the moment. But if you decide in advance that, let's say, I launched a product and it's, if it doesn't get to 4.5 million in sales within the next six months, 
I will need to seriously revisit the product launch plan. If it does get there, great, you don't need to worry about it. If it doesn't, that gives you a specific revision point. And that's one of the examples for now how number five can be used. It's incredibly important to ask that. So I talked that through in just a couple of minutes. Everyone has a, a couple of minutes to make sure that their decisions aren't screwed up because it will take you many, many thousands of dollars and many, many countless hours to unscrew decisions that are bad. In summary, what I heard is deep-rooted, I will call them, I mean, judgment errors, cognitive biases that are in each of us as, as human beings. And the one, some of the ones that you had mentioned, confirmation bias, planning fallacy, and then sort of the overconfidence effect, you know, assuming everything is going to go well. So we naturally have those as leaders. And while some of those things have gotten us to be successful, some of those things are actually holding us back. And if you are making an important decision, you can either do it as an individual or as a group, but going through your five steps, you know, what important information did I not fully consider? What dangerous judgment errors did I not address? What would a trusted and objective advisor suggest I do? How have I addressed all the ways it could fail? So plan to fail ahead of time. And what mm -hmm. new information would cause me to revisit the decision? And what I heard in there was either going through that checklist by yourself or as a team, if you're doing a new product launch, if you're launching a new business, developing your strategy, putting anything really internal, that you can put those, those five questions together to provide a little bit more rigor to the decision. And one of the sort of idioms that I heard is like being a devil's advocate, really actually like mm -hmm. examining the decision you're going to make from all angles versus, you know, try to run fast and just get the job done so that you can avoid going backwards and having to fix the mistake. And of course, some mistakes are not fixable. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. It's very insightful. And the problem with going fast, and I'm going to have to go again with the savannah, with this tribal environment. In the tribal environment, we learned the fight or flight response. The fight or flight response was very important, just like tribalism was incredibly important for our ancestors to survive. We're the descendants of those who are very tribal. We're also the descendants of those who had a very strong fight or flight response. We had to jump at 100 shadows in order to flee successfully from saber-toothed tiger or to fight an attacking tribe member. So we were the descendants of those who are very successful. In the current business environment, we don't really have dangers to our lives like a saber-toothed tiger or an attacking tribal member who's going to kill us immediately. So the business decisions that we're making are very different from the savannah, but we're very tempted to make very quick, fast decisions and rush ahead because of this fight or flight response, which causes us to make really bad decisions as opposed to the much more civilized, that's the natural state, and the, the fight or flight response, quick decisions just go forward. The civilized thing to do what we should do in the modern world, which is very different from the savannah, is to slow down our decision-making and make sure that we're actually making the right decisions. Very much extensive research has shown that making the right decision at the beginning is and spending a little bit of time on it saves you so much resources down the road, saves you so much time down the road because fixing a mistake is incredibly costly compared to actually not making the mistakes. There's a really good phrase by Ben Franklin, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And you know, people knew this back then, and I'm just saying this right now. You, if you fix the mistake in advance, if you don't do it, that'll be so much better for you down the road. The five questions, what you, uh, you brought up, I think is very important in terms of team. They are very helpful for teams working together. So for example, they make meetings so much more. I mean, when I come into an organization and reorganize the structure of meetings, people 
run through meetings so much quicker because it's structured around the five questions. So asking the five questions forms the essence of the meeting where you make a decision. And as you, everyone comes to the meeting with their own personal answers to the five questions, and then they discuss their answers. They go through the agenda by the structure of the meeting and everything flows much more smoothly than if they just kind of randomly come and discuss whatever they think about the decision. It's much more effective. It's also much more effective if you know that everyone in your team is asking those five questions about every decision, because then you can always go to them and say, hey, what did you think about this question on this decision? What did you think about that question? So you, co you essentially coordinate your decision-making process. You get everyone in the organization on the team to make have a similar process of decision-making that makes your work so much more effective and smoother. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in terms of executing that, and I'm sure you see it with big organizations, you know, it's one thing to either listen to the podcast. And if you're a regular listener, you hear us every two weeks or so getting, you know, getting some insights. But I think what Cleb is pointing to is really having people ingrain it in terms of the behavior. So you could do it as a workshop, as a one-time thing, or depending on what's in the culture or the DNA of the organization, you know, really institute this as a process over weeks and months so that that, you know, it is cascaded through the organization, everybody is incorporating it, but it also brings, you know, the rigor to your communication, the rigor to your decision-making process and sort of, you know, have it as a tool that you use regularly to be able to make better decisions uh, organization-wide, not just as an individual. But obviously it takes a bunch of time to do it as one person and even more time to do it as a group. And, and the question that you have to sort of determine is, you know, is this the structure is this a structure for me to be able to make the best decisions you know is it worth the the discussion time my wife was uh, she was shares really great stuff with me and she was telling me about you know when as we relate to our partnership that there's like the pilot of the plane and then the co-pilot and a co-pilot's only job is to be able to criticize the pilot to look at what decisions <laughs> they aren't doing you know criticize was the nice word but in in the sense that there's enough like trust respect and understanding between one another that it is ultimately to keep the plane safe. Shout out mm -hmm. Dax Shepard, because that's where she got that uh, that nugget from. But really, you know, creating the process where people look at not the individual. It's it's not, I would say people over process. It's not the individual that's making the decision. It's ultimately the process that you're using to make the decision. So it takes away out of like criticizing an individual saying, you know, you're not good at making decisions or you wouldn't have considered this is, you know, let's put all the things to consider on the table there. Mm -hmm. So I think that's an awesome process. By the way, for those of you at home, uh, if you go to disasteravoidanceexperts.com slash never gut slash never gut, uh, you can uh, get those five questions. And then I also see here that there's an eight step decision making model. So can you walk mm -hmm. us through that? There's a diagram of a person walking downstairs. So it's a little bit of a pun. But can you walk us through that quickly <laughs> and, and how people will uh, uh, could incorporate that and the benefit of that? Sure. Uh, just want to briefly say about the five questions. It actually surprisingly doesn't take much more time. It doesn't take more time when you actually learn how to do it. A similar technique was implemented among firefighters in the UK who are developing cognitive neuroscience. And uh, about 80% of errors from in firefighting comes from human error. And once they use the three question model instead of not a five question model, they were in life and death literally heat of the moment situations. So under that pressure, using a three question model 
once somebody was trained to use it, actually didn't take much, didn't take any more time compared to other people who didn't use a three-question model. And the people who used the three-question model made much better decisions, saved many more lives as firefighters. So if you can do it as a firefighter in the heat of the moment, you can definitely do it in a business. It doesn't take more time once you learn how to do this. So that's kind of just about the timing. Now, the eight-step decision-making model is for more significant decisions. When you're launching a major project, when you're making your strategic plan, when you're doing something, you know, making maybe a very key hire like the CEO of an organization, that's when you use a more significant, serious process like the eight-step decision-making model. First, you identify the need for a decision to be made. Again, that's very important. You want to identify the need for a decision to be made. Sometimes it's really not clear. So, for example, Kodak developed the digital camera in 1984. It was the first to do so. But it decided to invest into film and keep investing into film even as, other, even as digital cameras became more popular. And it eventually went bankrupt because it never made the decision to shift its investment into digital cameras, which were less profitable than film, but really were the wave of the future. Then gather relevant information from a variety of perspectives, informed perspectives on the issue at hand. You want to make sure that these are people who don't share your perspective, the, who have some different opinions from you, because why do you need your own information? You don't only go to yes people. <laughs> go to people who, are, who you know have some skepticism and who have different expertise than you to make sure that you get that external perspective. Decide on the goals, the overall goals you want to reach, and paint a clear vision of the desired outcome. You know, a lot of people do things like, let's say, launch a product, and they don't really have a clear vision of the goal. What does success mean? What, what are your goals with this product? Of course, you, everyone wants to make money, but specifically, what, how much market share do you want to claim? How much money do you want to make? What does success mean? Next, develop clear decision-making criteria to evaluate options. So if you're choosing among a number of products, you, know, you want to think about, well, this product will compete with somebody else and how much market share it will claim will be a decision-making criteria you want to use or how much, what's the profit margin from this product. You want to think about all of these things in order to evaluate options. Next, you want to generate sufficient viable options that can achieve your goals. This is a biggie. Business leaders often tend to settle for the first available option, the first one that seems reasonable because they decide too quickly, way too quickly. There is a lot of research showing that leaders tend to decide way too quickly. So you want to generate a number of viable options and decide among those. Now, next, weigh these options using the decision-making criteria and pick the best of the bunch that the decision-making criteria that you chose earlier suggests are the, is the most important. Of course, number seven is implement the option you choose and you want to consider as part of the implementation how your decision can go wrong and guard against these failures. So we talked about that before. Ask how it can fail and address that in advance. Next, evaluate the implementation process and revise it as needed. You want to be very open to revising your implementation process. You know, if you don't reach the 4.5 million within six months, you want to make sure that you revise it thoroughly, fairly, don't be emotionally attached to it. This is one of the biggest problems for leaders being emotionally attached to outcomes, to plans, to strategies. You want to distance yourself from that and you want to be develop that humility about yourself. And this is where, you know, you're, this is not actually the pilot co-pilot model. This is you within yourself being the pilot and co-pilot. You are a need to be able to step back from yourself, from your gut reactions, which is the pilot. And you need to step back and be the co-pilot, be able to criticize your ideal choice, your your preferred decisions, 
be able to criticize your enactment of the plan and say, hey, maybe I should change this, maybe I should shift this. This is really important for you to be able to distance yourself from that comfortable going along to get along and you know, just charging ahead strategy. You want to develop the ability to be more humble and to tolerate the discomfort of criticizing yourself and evaluating yourself effectively. Yeah, absolutely. So the two components are, you know, at the group level and while we talk a lot about culture mm -hmm. and the importance to, you know, create yes. a, a set of ground rules, it's also important to, you know, make sure that there isn't a group think or a homogenous thinking and to actually create a space or environment for, you know, the consideration of those things. And as you had mentioned, you know, going through that process can you can go very thorough, but as a firefighter example, it could be a thing that you ingrain in people that they just naturally do it by instinct and that gets developed over time. And then also as an individual leader, you know, checking yourself and having that, you know, EQ or what else you might have, call it the process internally and the awareness to, you know, maybe you're not as smart as you think you are, which I'm discovering more and more every day uh, that, uh, you know, to really make the best decision because, you know, you, you're, if, as a leader, you have a lot of people responsible, or you're responsible for a lot of leaders. So it's important that you add some robustness to your decision making and you can use the five questions or the eight step model to be able to support that. Gleb, just as a finish, as we finish up here, where can people learn more of those uh, cognitive models? Where can people read your book and, and how can people get a hold of you? Well, my book, Never Go With Your Gut, How Pioneering Leaders Make the Best Decisions and Avoid Business Disasters, is actually available everywhere. It's published by good traditional business publisher, Career Press. So all physical bookstores, online bookstores, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, whichever. They can get a hold of me by going to disasteravoidanceexperts.com. Disasteravoidanceexperts.com. And that talks about a lot of content, has articles, videos, podcasts, lots of free resources, online course, and other services, training, consulting, coaching that you can learn about. The, they can contact me at gleb at disasteravoidanceexperts.com. Shoot me an email if you have any questions about anything I said. Again, gleb at disasteravoidanceexperts.com. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. You can connect with me there. Happy to connect with you. Dr. Gleb Tsipursky, Dr. G-L-E-B-T-S-I-P-U-R-S-K-Y on LinkedIn. And uh, follow me on Twitter, gleb underscore Tsipursky. Again, gleb underscore Tsipursky. Awesome. Thank you, Dr. Gleb. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you so much for, for sharing with us. And I really uh, look forward to digging in more into your book over the coming months and years. I really appreciate the time today. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me on. My guest today has been Dr. Gleb Zapersky, who is a disaster avoidance expert and the author of Never Go With Your Gut, How Pioneering Leaders Can Make the Best Decisions and Avoid Business Disasters. So if you have somebody on your team who sometimes goes with their gut too quickly or you have important decisions coming up on the forefront, be sure to visit uh, Dr. Gleb online and uh, download some of his tools, share the book with your team, and then incorporate that model in your organization. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. We really enjoy uh, sharing you know, best practices and anything that will help you with you and your team. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, I uh, ask that you rate us five stars on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud, or whatever you play your podcast on, and give it a share to somebody in your life or in your network. This has been the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. My name is Anthony Taylor. Thank you so much for listening. I look forward to sharing with you next time. If you're getting ready to lead the strategic planning process yourself, be sure to check out our strategic planning toolkit. 
It has video walkthroughs to guide you through each step in the planning process from vision to action planning. We'll also have workbooks and downloads to document your plan and best practices to help get your team bought in so the plan gets executed successfully. You can get instant access to all the tools, all the templates, and all the downloads at smestrategy.net slash course.